universal credit fee bill was at this call may incur a charge, you will be charged to the rate set by your service provider. You'll be put through to an advisor as soon as possible. Please hold. You're in a queue and your call will be answered as soon as possible. Hello and welcome to the Mirrors Political Podcast, Eyes to the Left. My name is Jason Beatty. I'm Head of Politics at the Daily Mirror and I'm joined by my top colleagues, Mikey Smith Hello. and Nicola Bartlett. And we are going to discuss Prime Minister's questions and the other major political events of the week. Now, Prime Minister's questions I thought was quite interesting today. And I know I'm a political geek, but the reason why <laughs> is go back in time. Six months ago, before the election, we had Theresa May in her pomp, commanding the chamber, and Jeremy Corbyn coming along. I thought Jeremy Corbyn was quite wooden. He didn't particularly go over the flow of the questions. His backbenchers behind him were very silent. He very rarely scored points off Theresa May. Roll on now. And I thought completely different change of scene. What did you think, Mikey? I think she seems a little bit like a supply teacher who's lost control of the class. <laughs> uh, she's got MPs opening, openly laughing at her. Uh, th- this has happened twice this week. Um, uh, she's had MPs laughing at her during during speeches in the in, in, in the Commons. And she, she just doesn't seem to have any authority. But no. by contrast, Nicola, Jeremy Corbyn? Um, he seems to be buoyed up. He's got this huge amount of energy, and he he kind of understands PMQs a lot better than he did when he started. I entirely agree. He's learnt that he has much more impact if he picks one topic, um, and he basically kept challenging Theresa May on universal credit, which is this huge problem for the government, not just because it's causing so many problems for so many people but because their own MPs are starting to question it um, his questions were followed up by Tory backbencher Heidi Allen who also pointed out the problem. I'm going to come on to this she had a couple of Heidi problems today which we'll explain (laughs) later. Now the interesting thing was everybody thought that the obvious subject to go on was yet again Brexit and because, I think we were going to discuss later, Theresa May had done this interview on LBC the day before, when she got herself all sorts of tangles on Brexit, mainly because she failed to answer, despite being asked three times, what would you do now if it was a referendum? How would you vote? And she just couldn't say, I would vote leave or I would vote remain still. She just tried to get around the subject and looked a little bit tongue-tied. And she got in a muddle over EU rights of EU citizens for 3.2 million EU citizens living in the UK. We will come on to that. But for obvious reasons, I would think, Jeremy Corbyn didn't go near that. The reason being? Um, because... Uh, no one really knows how he voted in the referendum to start with. Yes, because the one question she could have phoned back at him yeah. was, so how do you, would you vote now if there was a second referendum? Um, so this is why he avoided that. And as Nicola quite rightly said, he very sensibly went on, I think, universal credit. Now, can we explain a little bit of background to what is universal credit and why is it causing the Conservatives such trouble? Well, the, the principle behind universal credit is that the government wanted to simplify the benefit system. So rather than having uh, different benefits that you apply for, you, you're applying for one, um, one cohesive benefit, basically. But it hasn't really worked out like that. In so it's bundled together the six main benefits you receive into a single payment. And actually it had all party support. And this mm-hmm. is because it simplifies the process. 
Uh, and this was the brainchild, which is a slight downer of Ian Duncan Smith. And we I call it the, the flagship Tory welfare policy, as we like to call it. But the problems are? Well, the, the problems are that it's it's being rolled out slowly in, in, in job centres. And, and the biggest problem uh, so far has been that from the day you apply to the day you get your first benefit, uh, if everything goes according to plan, is six weeks. Um, and people are applying for this and they're running out of money. It's pushing people uh, into homelessness, into poverty. Um, and you can now get... Um, you can get sort of hardship payments, hardship loans, if, if you're really struggling. But those can take five days to come through, and you have to pay them back. So you get you, you still get no uh, benefits for those six weeks. Um, uh, and, and it'll, it, effectively, and you have to sort of pay them back when you start getting the benefit paid properly. So you've got six weeks with, with no money. No and, money. And Jeremy Corbyn came armed with an awful lot of quotations, supporting evidence from charities, organisations like the Citizens Advice, uh, housing associations saying people are being evicted from their properties because they can't afford the rent because of the slow payments, people are being forced into take out loans, running up debts, you know, turning to their families. And as you said, Nicola, this is not just the Labour who's concerned about this. Up to 25 Tory backbenchers have also been raising concerns, have written to the DWP, the Department for Work and Pensions, because it is causing quite a lot of alarm in the constituencies on the ground, understandably. Now, somebody else who we didn't expect also spoke out about it at the weekend, which has again helped Jeremy Corbyn, which was Sir John Major, who called it, and you wrote the story, Nicholas, so I'm going to rely on you, socially... It's completely gone out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, he, he, yeah, uh, he called it unfaguiving, is the one phrase yes. I, I can remember. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no. Very unfair. Yeah, yeah he, he, he basically, um, he, he was very outspoken, and it's quite, it's quite unusual for a former Tory PM to come out so forcefully against the a, a policy of his own party. And his message, which a lot of people would agree with is just put a hold on it while there are still these problems to just take a pause and try and iron them out basically. basically he's not a lone voice the Dame Louise Casey the government advisor she's advised four different prime ministers also came out a couple of weeks ago saying pause it let's get it right but the Tories are digging in we thought they might do a, 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 a kind of hold back at the party conference but David Gort work and pension secretary said no we're ploughing on and, and you can see here Jeremy Corbyn not only had the moral case, and I think it was quite interesting, he's mm. taken a moral authority on this issue, but also he had the kind of the evidence for, from Theresa May's own side. Now, I thought Theresa May just about handled it okay in the first couple of questions. She kind of fired back about Labour's record on on welfare. When Labour was in power, it spent lots of money, but you know people were still on benefits. They weren't getting to work. And, and what was interesting, this is really key to how Corbyn has changed, Previously, when she said this sort of thing, Corbyn would just go, uh, or move the subject on. Mm. Now he's got better, he's got quicker on his feet, and he came straight back and said, under a Labour government, one million children were taken out of poverty. Mm. And, it, and that's kind of key to how he's, he's got so much more kind of, kind of quicker on his feet and more willing to engage in the, kind of the, the quite fast and difficult exchanges of Prime Minister's questions. And then he came up with what we call a zinger, didn't he, Mikey? The one which really rattled the Prime Minister. What the, the, the line about the, um, 
Uh, oh, do you mean his... The 55p? Ah, the 55p. Yeah, well, it, it turns out that um, the, the helpline, uh, if you've got problems with your universal credit, uh, costs anywhere up to 55p a minute to ring it. Um, which, which obviously, when you're struggling, when you haven't got much money, chances are you haven't got a landline, so so you're probably going to be on a pay pay as you go mobile. Which, if it's if you're anything like I was when I was on a pay as you go mobile, probably doesn't have any credit on it. Um, someone actually did the numbers, did a test call to the to the phone line, and they were. Uh, it took them four minutes to get through the menus. And uh, I think a further eleven minutes uh, on hold listening to Vivaldi before they, they they picked up the phone. So you're talking more than eight pounds before anyone picks up the phone. And the DWP's response has been, "Oh, but you can ask people to call you straight back, and that's free." But you've already spent eight quid you didn't have to spend to solve a problem that wasn't your problem. Yeah. It, it seems like this whole system has been put together by uh, people who don't know what it's like to run out of money. You do get that impression, that don't you? I mean, Liz Truss, the, 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 the Cabinet uh, Chief Secretary for the Treasury, was asked about it on television straight afterwards. And she said, well, they can always go to a job centre. Instead, it was pointed out that they're closing job centres. <laughs> and, and, and so you kind of, it, this is kind of more kind of, you know, supportive evidence, we should say, politely, of the Conservatives being completely out of touch. Uh, and you can see why it's difficult for them. So kind of Corbyn, I thought, I mean, May, I thought, stuttered quite badly when she was presented with this 55p charge. She didn't seem to know anything about it. Her, mm. her, her response, I thought, was moved from flanneling to kind of the usual kind of like, oh, well, well, we got three million people in jobs since we came to power, which kind of didn't really work as an answer. Uh, and Corbyn, then, I think he kind of won those serious exchanges. He used his last question, Nicola, to do a kind of much broader attack on the whole conservative kind of state of where we are. Well, yeah, this was really interesting because Corbyn in the past was almost quite worthy about um, Prime Minister's questions. He was almost asking these questions which were outside of party politics, but he kind of wrapped it all up and said that he listed off Brexit, he listed off the, the kind of talking about... Um, Basically, he, he described the government as a government in chaos. He did. He, he raised Bombardier. He raised yeah. the state of social care. He raised the state of the NHS. He talked about the government in his shambles. I mean, he had this killer line at the end. You know, it, it, if you cannot lead, you should leave. It was a it was a, an attack line. Yeah, and this was almost like old school prime minister's mm. questions. <laughs> this is you know we we kind of you know but but what we used to with Corbyn was this kind of as you say slightly kind of worthy approach, and now this is much more combative, mm. uh, and it was a lot rowdier. Um, Theresa May almost came back well, reeling off a list of Tory point um, successes since they came to power. You know, she went back on the three million jobs. She went back about how they got the deficit down. A little bit of jiggery-pokery of the figures there, I thought. And then rather bizarrely, including her list of successes, we have more people going to A&E, which I thought was... <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I think that's because I, you can't get a doctor's appointment. I just think, you know, more people being treated for, you know, uh, for, for emergencies and accidents in hospitals is not necessarily the best selling point you can have. It wasn't her worst comeback, I have to say. No, the, the worst <laughs> comeback today, I, I don't know if you know... Not just today, probably a, this year. Well, there, 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 there was a, a, a delayed comeback 
because Jeremy Colby came up, came out with this line about universal credit. What planet is the is the prime minister on? And then, in answer to a, a vaguely related question, a, about ten minutes later, she managed to uh, respond to this zinger by saying, "Oh, uh, the Jeremy Corbyn is on planet Venezuela." If it took her ten minutes to come up well, with that. It's, yeah, and, it's and not great. This is somebody who studied geography at university. Well, and, and somebody said Planet Sun is there, it sounds like the worst ever kind of <laughs> bar you go to after you've drunk too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was, yes, that, that fell particularly flat. And, and then she had, um, as I mentioned earlier, the double Heidi problem. Now we have a Heidi Allen, who is a Tory MP, and we have a Heidi Alexander, who is a Labour MP. Now, the Heidi Allen, Nicola, you, you talked about this earlier. Do you want to talk us through what Heidi Allen caused? Yeah, so Heidi Allen is a Tory backbencher who um, was raising the point about the delay in getting your payments if you're on universal credit. Um, and I thought she was quite interesting because she she made it quite clear that she supported the overall thrust of universal credit and made a distinction between um, some of the Tory concerns and some of the Labour concerns which are uh, kind of opposing the whole idea and she I think think the reason she was so effective is because she couched it in those terms and she said quite simply you know my constituents uh, can't afford to live because of the way this happens will the prime minister look at it and it was it's one of her own side it's very kind of gently done but it's actually incredibly powerful and the unfortunate timing for the prime minister was it came immediately after yeah. Jeremy Corbyn's six questions and all it did was kind of reaffirm all the points he'd been making mm. yes this isn't working yes it needs to change after she spent six questions trying to defend it yeah. so, so that was fortunate I and mean, then I thought the other kind of Kind of of the other backbenchers' questions. You, what you do at Prime Minister's questions, we perhaps should explain this, is Jeremy Corbyn gets to ask six questions, and then there's a couple from the SNP leader and Blackwood, and then it's going to open to other backbenchers. And I thought the most effective was from Heidi Alexander. Did you watch this one, Mikey? I, I can did. Talk through it. Well, she was uh, she was talking about um, uh, Theresa May's uh, uh, unwillingness to guarantee um, that. Uh, EU migrants in this country will be able to stay in the country uh, even if there's a no deal and she started uh, talking about Theresa May now starting to uh, push this no deal scenario because she's being uh, held hostage by the, the the sort of hard right of her party. But she called them the rabid hard the right. The rabid hard right. And why is the Prime Minister running scared? She finished. Yeah. And, and Theresa May then, did you see what happened? She jumped up to answer. She was so angry about this mm. question. And and she threw some papers down on the dispatch box. And she, literally she went, she was, she was whoops. Clearly, she said, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> she was clearly rattled. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, 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 um, a, a rare moment of peak. Yeah, I think it was a question which hurt. The yeah. accusation that she was being led by the, 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 the die-hard right-wing Tory Brexiteers, she, that hurt. That was painful, I think. But the, 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 it, it, was, it, was a, it was a painful moment in the LBC interview when, when, when she started getting asked, asked these yeah. questions. And she had to say seven words that a Prime Minister should never say, which is, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Which was, they, they just fell out of her mouth. And, and people are like, well, you're supposed to know what's going to happen. Um, why has it got to a stage where we're a year into um, planning for Brexit and no one's put that much time into you know, the, the real possibility that, that there's going to be no deal? Yeah. Just out of interest, we were, we were talking about this earlier. Somebody asked me, how do you answer the question, how would you vote now? 
if it was a second referendum? Uh, and what formulation should a politician use in those sort of circumstances? And Nicola, well, any suggestions? Here? Actually, surprisingly, I think Jeremy Hunt gave quite a good answer when he was asked this on Newsnight the other day, which was to say he was obviously a passionate Remain campaigner like Theresa May, but he said, knowing what I know now, that a lot of what Osborne had warned hasn't happened and that there was a lot and seeing the kind of intransigence that he has picked up on from the um, from the EU side he said that, that he would now vote leave now that may not be you know entirely honest we don't know but it is a very good politician's answer to that problem I mean another way of attacking it would be doesn't matter what I want I'm doing what the public want Hey, Mikey, you should be a politician. That, I is, that be, is the perfect it's been answer. Said before. Yeah, but the one thing you don't do, which is what Theresa May did, which was leave ambiguity mm. about what your stance is, because mm. it rattled both the Remainers and the Leavers, particularly the Brexiteers amongst the mm. Tory party, who feel always sensed, as Theresa May wasn't originally a Remainer, that she's not entirely a true believer, mm. and that well, a lot of what she's been saying is for effect. Um, now, we have to talk about Brexit. It's unavoidable. We've already been talking about it. But, but, but <laughs> Philip Hammond was uh, up before the Treasury Select Committee this morning, uh, where he was his usual ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell when he smiles because a little bit of light escapes from a coffin. Uh, uh, um, Nicola, you, you were listening in to, to this. There were quite a few lines out of it. It was quite newsy for somebody who's so grey, we thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, I think that, that's fair. I mean... He, uh, Hammond firstly was kind of annoyed that a piece that he'd written for the Times, that people ha- had read it, and he said they'd misinterpreted the fact that he had quite clearly said that he didn't want to set aside taxpayers' money now for a no-deal Brexit scenario. And he said, but that's not what I meant. Um, I know I will set aside the money if needs be. So I think we're sort of none the wiser about how much money they've, they're planning to, to have for Brexit. He also talked about he has to f- to find out about the um, the most realistic worst case scenario, and um, one of the worst case scenarios he was talking about um, is the possibility that the day after Brexit, which he actually got wrong but uh, later corrected, um, that there we're assuring, yeah, we don't <laughs> even know the exact time when <laughs> somewhere around there. Um, there might not be any flights from the um, UK to the continent um, because if there's no deal on, um, if, there's, if there's no formal Brexit deal, then there's no agreement on air traffic space um, and air traffic control because, um, as has been pointed out um, by, I think it's the... Um, the Pilots Association. Pilots Association. Alpha. Themselves. That there's no... It's not like trade, where there's the World Trade Organization rules to fall back on. There is no existing structure. Mm. So they really have to come up with an agreement on that. And, I mean, Hammond sort of then said, we probably will because it's, quite, you know, it's important to everyone. But it does kind of make you wonder about what else they might have forgotten. He also came up with a, a, a new form of Brexit. We've had Brexit means Brexit, we've had a red, white and blue Brexit, and we've got Hammond's bad-tempered Brexit. We're trying to avoid a bad-tempered Brexit. I have to say, most of the bad temper seems to be within the Conservative Party yeah. about whether we should crash out with a no deal or whether we should uh, try and dis- or that's just posturing to try and get the best negotiation stance. Well, he, he said something like an in- intentional no deal 
and an nadir, which sounds a bit sort of like Donald Rumsfeld's known knowns and known unknowns. But I think what he was trying to say was we Donald Rumsfeld. But thank you. Yes, very good. Um, we, I think we were trying to. I think what he was trying to say is either we won't have a deal because we'll have run out of time and and there is no agreement, or we'll consciously decide that what the EU is offering isn't good enough and we'll walk away. So I think they're they're sort of. I mean, a lot of this obviously is posturing when it comes to the back and forth, which is happening kind of simultaneously in Brussels. Um, but I think he's trying to to give the government a bit of leeway to say that they might actually own this no deal. It won't just be because they kind of run out of time and missed the deadline. And tomorrow we have another press conference with David Davis and Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator. This is after the fifth round of talks. <laughs> Are we expecting any progress? It's, it's really hard to say. Um, David Davis was being very positive but quite tight-lipped about the progress of things uh, during during Tory conference last week. Um, this This week's round of talks was... I think notable because it was the first one. Am I right in saying it was the first one that they did without having like an opening event, like a like a, a joint press conference at the beginning? And the first one since Theresa May's Florence speech was meant to be trying to break the impasse, break the logjam. But but he insists that 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 he gets on fine with Michelle Barnier. That's important. And that's important. <laughs> they had a lovely um, dinner the other night, didn't they? They did. <laughs> with um, three different types of bottles of wine. This, is, this should be a journalist dinner, not a, yes. a politician's dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it, it it's very difficult to say. But you know, the the uh, we can but hope. I was going to be much more negative and say that the timetable's already slipped. But, but Theresa May is hoping to start trade talks by the end of this month, October, mm. where the Europeans are now saying it possibly December at the earliest to move on to that. But there is, and as we, this is why it's so important because you talk about this aviation deal. You know, time is running out. The airlines start yeah. booking their yeah. flights for and doing their schedules for for 2019 now. And, and they need the security, otherwise, and the uh, certainty, rather, I should say, now, because otherwise we w- they wouldn't have slots to fly to. And, this is, the and clock then, really they're is... not the only ones, are they? I mean, they, um, I think on the radio this morning, it was um, talking about the roll-on, run-off ferries, which are obviously a huge part of our trading with the EU, and there's no real agreement there either. So aviation is just one example of lots of different sectors which are craving certainty um, about what's going to happen and are basically having to put things on hold. I, I, I must tell you, my, my favourite um, anecdote from, from the Brexit campaign was I, I had a very long and interesting phone call with a legitimate arms dealer uh, who was was complaining that um, he was going to have to move his business. Oh, I say arms dealer, what he does is he, he takes uh, ex-Russian military... Uh, the artillery stuff that he finds in Eastern Europe and he transports it over to the UK, refurbishes it and sells it on to collectors and occasionally he does a bit of sort of recon work for for, for foreign governments like, you know, because North Korea still use ex-Russian um, artillery so he will give information to various governments about that. So, you know, it's a legit business, it's, you know, he's not just selling guns. But his problem was that he has to transport those 
those pieces of artillery over countless borders through the EU and then get them to the UK where he does them up. And he was 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 saying he's just going to have to move his operation to France because there was no way he'd be able to fill in that many forms to get them over that many borders. He's, he's no way, there's no way he's going to be able to risk that and, and keep his business going. So as far as I know, he's already moved to France because it's just going to be easier. So is this an upside or a downside of Brexit? We get rid of dodgy arm dealers, he, Mikey. He, he was a great, <laughs> it's a, great, a great British business has been forced <laughs> to move to Europe because of lack of certainty. Arms dealers for Remain. Like I, I think on that note, we should leave it there. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for, for listening. Uh, as I said, my name is Jason Beatty. You can follow me on Twitter at JBTMirror. Mikey is on Twitter at Mikey Smith. Nicola is... Nicola R. Bartlett. So do go to the Mirror website to www.mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A-Y-E-S. And you can find the podcast there and you can subscribe and do leave a comment. Thank you very much for listening.